Welcome to The Renegade Economist with your host Carl Fitzgerald here on the beautiful 3CR Airwaves broadcasting into the ether hoping that more and more people are switching on to our common right to a place on this earth and a share in its naturally rising value. Just how has a right to a roof over our head turned into a speculator's paradise? There's over a dozen tax incentives and as many economic advantages. Uh, today in the papers, there's been a report out about multinational tax avoidance. Uh, apparently, the top 100 companies are paying an average uh, tax rate of 16%, 16.7%, I think, instead of uh, the headline rate of 30%. So uh, the tax system is optional. It's basically a write-off. Property speculators have over a dozen incentives to buy and hoard real estate, and we have to turn that around. Now, uh, my weekend started off uh, with a bang on Saturday morning, seeing in The Age uh, the article entitled, If a property is vacant, should it be taxed to help fund family violence programs? And quickly I was on the interwebs to say, yes, that's a good idea if the tax is levied on the land-only component of housing. So by the time I was uh, into the office early Monday morning, uh, there was a call from the project, Channel 10, and they uh, quickly lined up our president, Catherine Cashmore, to discuss the report by Launch Housing. Launch Housing. So let's have a listen to uh, the clip from Channel 10's The Project on Monday night and have a listen to Steve Price, the right winger, lay into uh, Catherine Cashmore, who you've heard on this show a number of times. Now, there are calls for Aussie homeowners who have vacant properties to be forced to pay a vacancy tax. And if introduced, the money raised could go to an unexpected cause. Right now in Sydney, there are an estimated 90,000 homes just sitting there, empty. In Melbourne, there are up to 55,000 properties lying long-term vacant. Contrast this with the 1,000 domestic violence victims in Victoria alone who missed out on housing support last year, or the fact that getting crisis accommodation in New South Wales, where almost 90% of refuges are full, has been likened to winning the lottery. It was very difficult, especially being a, you know, a single parent of three children. Um, there was a bit of a fear there in case my children were taken off me. If you're unable to provide an adequate home for your children, uh, you can end up losing your children. They can be removed. Child protection. But all of those empty homes could be part of the solution, but not in the way you might think. A new proposal wants to see privately owned properties that have been vacant for 12 months or more taxed 1% of the property's total value each year, with the millions raised put towards boosting housing support for women fleeing abuse. The homes that are needed are many, private rental help, mortgage relief help, but also some social housing. But for some, the idea of taxing those who've worked hard to buy an investment property is a step too far. We don't really want the tax man looking through our curtains trying to decide whether uh, somebody's living there. Private property is private, it's not government property, and it's none of their business. Beyond that, there are questions about exactly how it would be determined which homes are genuinely vacant. It's a privacy matter in many respects that uh, property owners are not required to state whether their property is occupied or unoccupied. It's hard to reconcile tens of thousands of homes lying vacant around the country while victims of family violence struggle to keep a roof over their heads. But is taxing those who own all those empty houses the best way to fix the problem? 
Well, Catherine Cashmore from Prosper Australia is a big fan of this idea and she joins us now. Catherine, for the sake of this argument, can we sort of separate the vacancy tax idea from domestic violence? I think everyone wants to do something about domestic violence, but you guys have been pitching something similar to this vacancy tax for a long time now. So what's this really about? Yeah, well, to, to be honest, we haven't been pitching this idea as as it's pitched at the moment. We've been advocating a broad-based land tax to replace other taxes. But this idea is essentially about taxing vacant housing to encourage that housing to be put to use so that it doesn't sit there with owners speculating on capital gains rather than trying to get rental income out of their property. The study that we've done has um, shown that there are thousands of vacant properties in the greater Melbourne metropolitan area. But I suggest you're overstating the number of vacant properties. I think uh, we saw a figure today that you're suggesting it's 50 55,000 at the upper end, 25,000 at the lower end. Where are you getting those figures no, from and no, how, are you, how are you measuring wrong. that? Yeah, you're wrong. We're not suggesting that at all. We're actually suggesting it's a lot higher than that. And our figures are done from a report that I do each year called the Speculative Vacancies yeah, so Report. So where are you getting those numbers from? Well, I'm from? about to tell you. That report is based on water usage. So what we do is we collect water data from the three main water providers in Melbourne. And we look at houses that are using an abnormally low amount of water. So say no more than a dripping Fairly tap would Fairly dodgy use. measurement. And why is it a dodgy measurement? If you're not using any water in your house, then there's nobody living there. And it's actually a very effective measurement. I like it, Steve. I well, think it's, it's very dirty, well, I think it's completely <laughs> dodgy measurement. No, no. You should read our report, Steve. Um, it's well, it's on our website. I've got better things to do than read your report, but anyway. Our report actually looks at individual houses and monitors how many houses are using so low water usage. And I can tell you that there's nearly 30,000 homes in Melbourne that are using zero litres of water a day. There's nobody in those properties. Nobody's home. So there was Catherine Cashmore on the project. Thanks for that clip. Channel 10. And so, yeah, it always arouses controversy that there's that many homes. We actually think there's over 82,000 empty homes. Uh, there's some 25,000 homeless people in Melbourne and 35,000 on the public waiting list. As we're hearing uh, down at the Bendigo Street occupation, apparently there's a street party there this weekend. So we're looking forward to getting down there, bringing the kids and uh, seeing community spirits uh, in action all we need is access to land and so many good things uh, can develop from that. So uh, Steve Price there uh, talking about, uh, well, basically paraphrasing what the Property Council of Australia is trying to uh, uh, lace our report with in that the, the data is not accurate. Well, uh, there's only 3% of the population who use less than 50 litres of water a day. And of the 24,000 properties that use uh, zero litres of water, many of those will be turned into... Uh, uh, anywhere between 3 to 13 apartments. So uh, uh, there's plenty of leeway there. And the fact is, with our vacancy report, it does not include the incredible land banking that's happening on the sprawl of the city. We've had the, the nation's most aggressive land rezoning agenda over the last 15, 20 years, and uh, there is plenty of waste out there. Just um, pop out to Melton. I'm going to be going out there this uh, weekend to film up some of it because I've had enough. Uh, we've got to keep pushing ahead and exposing this story, how all these incentives are uh, leading to real estate for ransom and these well-funded uh, property lobbies continue to peddle these mistruths and it's time uh, it, it this story did get into mainstream media further and further so well done to launch housing that's a uh, an amalgamation of uh, uh, 
uh, Hanover and Common Ground, two uh, well-regarded housing organisations uh, here in uh, Melbourne. So uh, they they are talking about a vacant housing tax. You you heard about the the questions of privacy rights there. Well, uh, of course we do say that uh, we, instead of having this sort of wealth envy line and and some sort of uh, detective work needed, let's just broaden uh, the land tax base. Uh, that that itself is a, is a controversial thing, but uh, when you consider, as uh, Launch Housing uh, wrote in their policy briefing for this vacant housing tax, that in 2006, 30.1% of all rental properties were affordable. By 2015, this had fallen to just 8.5% of rental properties. So, uh, so many people out there are paying over 40% of uh, their scarce income on uh, this this right to a roof over our heads. It should be be a primary right. It should be something that the market can deliver. But due to the neoliberal agenda, all of these tax loopholes have been carved away. The commons has been torn apart and commodified to the highest bidder. So uh, it's time more and more people really woke up to this. And it's fantastic that through our web pits, our social media, our Don't Buy Now page is uh, storming ahead. Uh, and and through our membership that uh, more and more people are joining and waking up to the story that it's not actually corporations that are destroying things. Uh, You you know, saying that capitalism is the problem is too broad a brush. We need to refine that. And if you ask me, a better term is monopoly capitalism. That's what's causing the problems. So uh, there there are issues all the way through our economic system, particularly when it comes to our most precious resource, the land itself. You've heard me talk about council rating, where if you put on uh, solar panels, a water tank, a renovation, up go your rates. But uh, if you're a property investor buying a a weatherboard home, that could well be uh, the sort of uh, funky little uh, affordable rental place. Well, the incentive is there now to smash that down. So that's not the sort of incentive we want. If launch housing wants just a mere $78 million for domestic violence funding, uh, there could be other ways to do it. And one of those would be reforming what Dennis Napthine did in uh, the lead up to the 2013 budget. He gave a stamp duty discount to first homeowners. And what this meant was that Sure, he could go to the press and say, look, you're not paying stamp duty anymore. You're not paying some $35,000 in stamp duty. We're giving you a 50% discount on that, so you're only paying 18. But it didn't stop the fact that first homeowners were still competing in the wider market, uh, still competing against investors who own three, four, 30 properties, still competing with superannuation funds, increasingly uh, sidling up to the residential investment market because uh, they have some of the highest and most stable returns compared to the negative interest rates that, uh, well, the very low interest rates we've got here in Australia. So, uh, yeah, basically that first home buyer stamp duty discount is a write-off. It cost uh, $70 million in uh, its first year, and that's right. It's increased to over $80 million, so that would be the easiest way. Just get rid of that um, stamp duty discount, and in a way, uh, for us uh, Georgia's purists, that's a step backwards, but uh, at least there's an easy $80 million for domestic violence funding there, and uh, we're not making things worse 
We're not uh, raising the ire of uh, libertarians worried about their privacy. It is a, a, a challenge. We don't actually get the address-specific vacancy details from the water providers. They won't give that to us. Perhaps government legislation could be introduced to talk about that. But, uh, you know, th this problem of uh, the divide uh, between the wealthy between uh, the disenfranchised continues to grow and uh, there's actually a new film out called The Divide. So let's have a listen to that. The Divide, the documentary, it's based on uh, the 2010 book called The Spirit Level, talking about the how equality is great, good for us all. I'm an only child. I had a great childhood. I have two amazing parents that uh, gave me everything I needed. I thought I could fly when I was young. <laughs> I mean, we were poor, but it was so much love that we didn't really notice. We grew up in an environment where you never really knew what was going to happen, and that creates a lot of uncertainty. Compared to previous generations, okay, we might be a bit skint, we might not be able to afford the best pair of shoes, but we're not living in poverty. We make plenty of money. Like, we make plenty of money. It's not like we won the lottery and moved into a big, fancy neighborhood. My integrity is what I have. You know, a long time ago, people's word and integrity meant a lot. I grew up happy in the Appalachian Mountains. We had good Christmases. We had love. I was normal. But now, <laughs> what the hell am I now? Can you hear me? No challenge is more urgent. We can either settle for a country where a shrinking number of people do really well, while a growing number barely get by. Or we can restore an economy where everyone gets a fair shot, and everyone does their fair share, and everyone plays by the same set of rules. Rah, rah, more rhetoric there. Is there uh, action, Obama? Are we going to see it? That is the, the challenge of the times. Can we overcome this lobbyocracy where one vote, one value is being hocked off for $1 for one policy outcome, hey? It's, it's just crazy uh, that... Uh, our UK friends can be uh, flabbergasted at 41%, uh, I think, of their lower house MPs own investment properties. And uh, here we are in Australia with uh, some 94% here. About to go uh, uh, into election mode. So it's going to be very interesting to see what happens with uh, Labor's negative gearing and capital gains tax policies versus uh, the Liberals trying to fend off a uh, Royal Commission into the banking sector. Uh, let's keep the pressure up on those fronts because uh, uh, there's an interesting article out uh, called Who Owns the Earth? 
Private land ownership is a beautiful dream gone badly wrong. It's time to reinstate the forgotten ideal of the commons by Antonia Melchik on E.ON, a online magazine. Uh, seems to have a lot of high-quality writing there, and Antonia uh, discuss how the commons are just what they sound like, land, water, forest, air, the natural resources of our planet that make life possible. Societies throughout history have continually relied on varying systems of commons usage that strove to distribute essential resources equitably, like grazing and agricultural land, clean water for drinking and washing, forage food and wood for fuel and building. The point was for an individual or family to gain the means for an independent life, not to grow rich from land ownership. So uh, she goes on. In, in This is one of the best. I'd say, actually, I will say it, it is the best article I've read this year. So I will put that in the show notes on earthsharing.org.au. But uh, she goes on to say, the power of this tradition is difficult to explain, but even more difficult to overstate. And its practice echoes throughout Western history. The Magna Carta agreed to in 2015 by England's King John at the insistence of his barons, protected those nobles from losing their lands at the whim of whatever sovereign they were serving. It also laid down the right to a trial by one's peers, among other individual rights, as is the document widely cited as the foundation of modern democracy. But this is a bit that got me uh, interested. What is less well known is the Charter of the Forest, which was agreed to two years later by the regent for King Henry III, King John with King John having died in 1216. With the Charter, management of common resources moves from the King's arbitrary rule, says Carolyn Harris, a Canadian scholar of the Magna Carta, to the common good. The Charter granted what are called subsistence rights, the right that every free man may henceforth, without being prosecuted, make in his wood or in land he has in the forest a mill, a preserve, a pond, a mile pit, a ditch or arable outside the, the covert in, ar- in arable, arable land on condition that it does not harm any neighbour. And that, of course, harks back to John Locke, who said we all had the rights to our own labour, but uh, uh, we can only um, access nature as long as there is as enough and as good for for all. And this is this this common right to a place on the earth. That is what is so essential. And the core point we keep talking about, and I'll, I'll just reiterate here, is the difference between earned and unearned incomes. That is crucial. And that's what we're talking about with the land tax is that it identifies unearned incomes. And Michael Hudson in his upcoming book, J is for Junk Economics, says, At issue is a classical definition of economic rent as unearned income, the excess of price over real cost value, a property claim or privilege that does not reflect a necessary cost of production. He goes on to say, look, a land is a gift of nature. Any price above zero is an unearned income. 
So how can banks make all this money off it? How can James Packer decide he can sell the land under Crown Casino and uh, Burswood Casino, uh, uh, he's going to roll it off into a separate investment vehicle? How can that happen? I can't believe that uh, the guy who's, well, his father uh, accessed Crown Casino under extraordinary conditions for a peppercorn rent and now some 20-odd years later when he thinks everyone's forgotten, uh, he's now going to roll this off into a separate investment vehicle worth uh, millions of dollars uh, as advised by Blackstone Capital, one of uh, the world's uh, most rapidly growing uh, investment vehicles, uh, particularly in real estate. I think their acquisitions increased by 18% last year in the top 100 real estate firms. Well, that's who Packer's aligning himself with. He has really picked the eyes out of what we talk about here on uh, The Renegade Economist. He is after uh, monopoly rents. That's what he's after. It's another term for economic rents. So that's, that's what they're doing. They're creating a monopoly and pushing prices uh, above the cost of production to claim this easy money. And then uh, having sculpted the economic uh, uh, academia, the, the theories of economics to ignore this, uh, we, we're led to believe that corporations are the baddies they should be paying their 30% tax rate while uh, uh, James Pack is off uh, trying to privatise uh, uh, islands surrounding uh, the British uh, Virgin Islands, uh, right near the, all the tax havens in the Bahamas. It's all sorts of uh, interesting speculative activity going on around there, including all sorts of movie stars. I hope to be bringing you that story soon on The Renegade Economist. All right, uh, let's have a listen to one of the great characters in terms of uh, economic reform. Uh, well, there's two of them, Stacey Herbert and Max Kaiser from uh, the Kaiser Report on RT News, talking about something we really need to cover here on The Renegade Economists. Well, let's move back to negative interest rates because negative interest rates are playing their way into the economy. First, Denmark, now Belgium is paying people to take out a mortgage, getting paid to borrow money for your house. It seems too good to be true, but for some clients of BMP Paribas and ING, it is not a dream, but reality. The interest rate on their home loan has dropped below zero, and so they get money from the bank. So this is for those who took out uh, mortgages in 2012 on a variable rate from these banks, and now they're being paid <laughs> to uh, essentially borrow. This was a uh, kind of a joke that was presented by us, by Zero Hedge, by other financial uh, bloggers and commentators, and it's coming true. That's right. Instead of being charged an interest to borrow money, the bank is paying you an interest to borrow money. So instead of putting, and if you put money on deposit at that bank, they give you a negative rate of interest. <laughs> so if you put money on deposit at a bank, you're being charged negative 1%. If you borrow money from the bank for a mortgage, not only is it free, they pay you that 1%. So they're just transferring money from savers, people who want economic and financial sovereignty and be able to think independently of the corporations and the fascist dictators that run the banking system. And they're now underwriting the borrowers who are participating in the Ponzi scheme that is the global housing bubble. Yes, because all of the money only goes to housing. Notice that none of this money, none of this negative rate money is going towards, uh, you know, new business. Now, here's another tweet. Negative interest rates reaching consumer finance in Germany. This is somebody's tweet there. So they're offering a negative 1% uh, interest on your loan. 
So uh, it's uh, spreading around the world. That we don't know where this is going. Even Einstein, I think, I would love to hear what he would say about this because he was into his math, and they all have to equal, and everything has to make sense. I well, was, I would tell you what Einstein said. He <laughs> would say this would be the equivalent of a financial black hole. Yeah, you know, black hole where no light can escape. This is negative interest rates created a global economy where no growth can possibly occur, and it just sucks in more debt and becomes an unsustainable debt ball in the middle of a void, in the middle of space, in the middle of a financial crisis. Of course, now 0% rates were caused by the fraud committed by the banks that collapse our global financial system through their CDOs and mortgage-backed securities and other derivatives. And the central banks, instead of punishing the bankers, they instead chose to go to zero and then now to negative. And the, the theory is that eventually it's going to, uh, the, these banks, they're forcing the banks to lend to businesses, but the businesses don't want money all in fact when you lend to a business all they do is engage in share buybacks so nothing productive is happening i'll give you another what, concept. another where else the money has gone is into uh, student loans but let me Mil- before you get into that so there is Stacey Herbert and Max Kaiser from the Kaiser Report talking about negative interest rates. And uh, when you think about uh, monetary reform, it's really in crisis. And uh, the RBA governor, uh, Glenn Stevens, was critiquing uh, helicopter money today uh, in, I think, in New York and saying, look, uh, that, that sort of monetary policy is just not needed. And uh, what I tweeted about it, Earth Sharing, at Earth Sharing, if you ever want to uh, track me down. Down, uh, was that uh, uh, these diminishing returns he, he's talking about from monetary policy and this QE3, QE44 we're coming up for, well, uh, uh, all this critique ignores the drain the rising land prices place on the Australian economy, on the global economy. So when you think of monetary policy and the sort of reforms, you know, Max Kaiser, he's always on about debt, he's always on about monetary reform, but he misses the land story. He, he he glazes over monopoly, but uh, sure, they can talk about real estate, but they don't look at locational rents. They don't look at unearned incomes. They don't really delve into it. So I, I cross my fingers and uh, hope that one day they will uh, get serious about it because uh, one of the big monetary reforms for progressives is uh, the Silvio Gassel demarrage policy where you would be charged a uh, a 1% uh, uh, holding charge for keeping your money in the bank and so this negative interest rate we're seeing through Europe with Denmark, Sweden, Switzerland, Belgium uh, the ECB is onto it when over into Asia Japan has it so it's all over the place and uh, what is happening with uh, this penalty for saving this reward for borrowing well Kaiser mentioned it he said look it's going into real estate. Well, good on you, Max. Yep. Well done. Uh, Denmark is up 7.53% in the latest year. Sweden's up 11.15%. Switzerland's more moderate, one6 Belgium, 22 And of course, Japan under Abenomics, where uh, I saw someone say, look, if they can stuff it up uh, economically, uh, the Japanese are the masters at it. Well, property prices there are starting to turn around and they're up by uh, 8.97% over the last year. So, uh, it's not the answer, negative interest rates, nor this demurrage. Uh, it needs to be accompanied by a land value tax. It was fantastic to see that uh, ACOS this week came out 
pushing for the removal of stamp duties and replacing uh, them with land taxes, as Michael Pascoe was talking about on this very show last week. Ellen Mitchell in the AFR, he's the economics editor, says, look, that Turnbull and Morrison, uh, their best chance of uh, uh, conjuring up a vote-winning budget is to use value capture uh, to uh, capture some of the the unearned incomes that uh, uh, big infrastructure projects such as high-speed rail uh, deliver. So uh, it's all happening. Uh, Now is the time to get involved. Uh, Please uh, step up, uh, comment on the websites, uh, join the Facebooks, the Twitters, and if you can, become a member of our organisation, Prosper Australia. $30, you get delivered four times a year our 112-year-old magazine celebrating our 125th year uh, of activity this year. So uh, my name's Carl Fitzgerald. Get in touch via renegades at earthsharing.org.au and, uh, yeah, have a think about that. How have uh, uh, our rights to a roof over our head uh, been turned around and turned on its head into uh, a speculator's paradise? It's got to stop. Hi there, shipmates. This is Captain Trash from the Port Phillip Echo Center in St Kilda. Did you ever hear the crow in the sky going, Ah, ah, ah? That stands for reuse, reuse, recycle. And you heard it first on 3CR.